This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is March 13th, 2022. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Uh, my name is Howard Liberman, and I was at Hofstra Radio from 1970 through 74, 75, that era. Do you remember uh, the names of any of the shows or programs that you hosted or worked on during that time? I do. Well, a lot of the time I did news. I was uh, At one point, I was the news director, so I did a lot of news. But I did a couple of things. Uh, one was a, a comedy show called Crack Up. It was a half hour, and I just played comedy bits. Um, mm. that, was, that was kind of fun. And then the other thing I did, and this was my only um, stage name, if you will, during my time at, at WVHC, was um, at the end of, of football games and basketball games, on the log, it said musical fill because they just filled with music until the next scheduled program. So I went to Kit Hunt, who was the program director at the time, and asked if I could be musical Phil. And she <laughs> said, okay, fine. So I was one of the only things that was comboed. And I went down to the, to the stu- studios. And when the ball game ended, I would be musical Phil. And I called myself musical Phil. And I just played whatever music I wanted until the next scheduled program. So that was a lot of fun. Oh, that's great. Very clever. Um, so you said you were a news director. What other titles or positions did you have? I was the station manager at one point. Um, I was news director quite a while. Then I became station manager. Uh, those were really the only two titles. I don't think I had any other titles there. Um, but it was just, I was at the radio station all the time. In those days, the studios were in the basement of a little theater, and the offices were on the second floor of Memorial Hall. Okay. So... Uh, I like to ask these two questions together because I think they make sense, but I'm always curious what brought people to the station at first. And then you mentioned the little theater for those of us who weren't there. Can you describe your first impression of, of getting to either the office or the station and the, and the studios and maybe some people that you might've met there? Uh, going to the studio was a little weird. It was, you went down this flight of stairs cause it was in a basement and it, it seemed kind of a little dank and dreary when you first walked in, but um, it was it was a well set up operation. There was the you walked into a hallway. There was the record library on one side. The newsroom was down the hall. The uh, main air studio and uh, where the board was, because generally you had separate engineer and and uh, talent mainly so that you could learn engineering and you could learn announcing and have a chance to do both without, you know, it just gave everybody more of a chance to do things. Mm-hmm. I think the first um, impression I have was I walked in and I think uh, Tom Curley was one of the first people I met and he was just, well, kind of insane and a lot <laughs> of fun. And um, I knew right away that this was going to be a place that uh, I thought I could be welcome at. I ended up at the station initially because my friend Dave Levy, who's still a friend all these years later, Dave was uh, the chief announcer and he was made the chief announcer. He was, we were both freshmen. He became the chief announcer. I had met Dave uh, when we were there over the summer before our freshman year for like a freshman orientation. And in those days, a lot of students were commuters, probably more so than now. And um, I was coming from Massachusetts, so I was going to be a dorm student, but Dave lived on the island. He was a commuter but everybody stayed in the dorms during this session. So that's when I first met Dave. When we came back for the fall, we, we 
got together once again with some of the other people I had met during the orientation. And Dave, Dave said to me, hey, I'm, uh, you know, I'm involved with the radio station now. And I said, well, that sounds like fun. So we went over and I was the first person he put on the air as chief announcer. Uh, wow. Basically, it was just because, hey, I'm going to have my friend become, you know, an, an on-air person. And that's how I started at the station. And in fact, I was pre-med. Um, I had no, I didn't stay pre-med too long. I was pre-med for about a, a semester hmm. or so. And um, I ended up switching over to communications because the radio station really uh, became my world. I, I was drawn to it. I thought I wanted to get into radio. I could see it as a career, even though my parents were a little skeptical. Um, it worked out for me it, and it worked out for a lot of people who, who were Hofstra radio, but, um, that's, that's how I came to be there in the first place. So prior to coming to Hofstra, did you have any, any thoughts about communication or, or radio, or was this just a, a, a brand new thing for you? No, it was a new thing for me. Um, I was, I always found it interesting. I mean, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I went to a, tour TV studio with uh, like the Cub Scout troop because the the leader had a relative who worked at this television station in Boston. And I thought it was interesting and it was kind of fun to see how they did it. But, uh, you know, I was a radio listener. I never thought of myself as being a DJ or reading the news or, or getting too heavily involved with radio. But when I started, I just totally fell in love with it. Hmm. So you mentioned um, that Dave Levy was the chief announcer and he, mm -hmm. you were the first person he cleared. Was, was there, because depending on the generation, depending on the person I'm talking to and when they were there, there were different standards for getting trained or getting on the air. Do you remember anything about that process <laughs> or did, or did he just sort of say, you're my friend, you're on the air? Uh, it was, it was a, so more of the latter than the former. There, there was a you know, some training, but, um, let me tell you about the first thing I did on the air. Okay. It was just a weather forecast. All I was doing was reading the weather. Now, remember, I'm from Massachusetts. So I'm reading the weather. And the last thing I talk about is the fact that they're expecting scattered fog. <laughs> well, everybody in the control room started to laugh. And I came out of that news booth, stormed out. Why are you people laughing? What's so effing funny? <laughs> and they all said, scattered fog. Ha, 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 ha. And I realized that maybe the Massachusetts accent wasn't the best thing to be on the radio. And Jeff Krause, who ran the radio station, I'm sure a lot of the people uh, who, who spent time at Hofstra um, realized that Jeff Krause was a, an, an amazing influence and, and an incredibly talented person. Jeff taught me to speak without a Boston accent. Hmm. And after that, I, I was a lot better and didn't sound as foolish and it allowed me to work in, you know, real radio uh, and get paid for it and, and make a career out of it. So uh, do you remember meeting Jeff for the first time? Because he was he was something of an intimidating presence. Uh, yeah, he, he was. He was a little crusty, um, but he he heard the story about scattered fog and, and he thought it was kind of amusing. Um, but he called me aside and said, look. If you want to be on the radio, you, you can't talk like you're, you know, straight out of Boston. You can't be Harvard Yard. 
And he said, if you're serious, I can help you, you know, we'll break the accent and I'll, I'll teach you like this generalized speech pattern that, that uh, radio announcers use. Hmm. So he started to help me right away. And even though um, he was an intimidating guy, I didn't find him intimidating because he immediately was helping me and I was just uh, grateful for the help. And, and we, you know, got along famously. Hmm. It's, it's very interesting. Um, earlier today, I had a separate interview with one of my contemporaries who got to the station in 1989 and, and this uh, John Baker was from uh, Providence and in an initial recording session with Jeff Krause across the window from him. He, I, he didn't remember what he said, but Jeff basically said, if you've got that New England accent you're, and you want to stay here, you're going to have to work on it. And mm-hmm. to this day, he, he says he doesn't have a trace of it anymore, but he had to work very hard. So it's, it's funny, the, the continuity over time uh, of different people work, coming yeah. in. Yeah. yeah, and I had to work very hard at breaking it, but now it's hard to speak with a New England accent. I mean, it really, every so often a word or two comes through, but it's pretty much gone. So, so if I asked you to, to you know, throw some, some New England out there, it would be, it would be difficult. It, it would be. Uh, you know, you really have to think about it. And, and uh, I, would, I would have to work at being the New Englander. Right. Right. Interesting. So, so that's your getting on the air. And you talked about separate training to become an engineer. Did you work on working behind the board or were you strictly on air? No, I was. I did. I did both. Um on air, I did I did some talk shows. I, as I said, I did a lot of news. Uh, I anchored election night coverage a few times, um, but but I also engineered for a lot of people. Les Bear um, mm-hmm. was a guy who had was had graduated years before, but was still doing a folk show at the radio station at that time. And I engineered for Les. I think the first after they trained me on the board, the first. And I might be wrong, but as I recall, the first thing I engineered was a Sweet Olson show, mm-hmm. and he played the polka music. and And I, he would say like, you know, this song goes into that song. It, it all sounded pretty much the same to me. But we went from one Oberic to another, and I, so I engineered Sweet Show. I engineered Less. Uh, I did a few other things, um, but those were the two that I recall specifically engineering. There was there was one, couple of times where I engineered for. Uh, music shows. One, just an, if you'll indulge a, another slightly amusing anecdote. Sure. Tom Romeo was the guy who was on the air. He was doing the music. And Tom was one of these DJ types who was very intense and really wanted each song to flow one to the next. And and he really thought about it. And he, you'd see him like listening to the music in between records and whatnot. And it got to the point where it was time for him to tell me what record he wanted next, and he hadn't said anything. I hit the intercom and said, Tom, I need to know what you want next. And he said, I'll be with you in a second. Tom, I need to know what you want next. Finally, I said to him, Tom, I'm going to, if, if five seconds before this record that's on now ends, if you haven't told me what you want next, I'm turning around to the cart rack, grabbing the first thing that hits my hand, slamming it in the machine and playing it, no matter what it is. <laughs> and... The five seconds came up. He hadn't given me a record. I turned around, did exactly what I said, and the Eagles witchy woman came on. It was not a good segue. <laughs> he was not happy. But he never he never didn't give me the next record in time. Wow. 
Yeah, that's that's uh, that's that that live air ultimatum. It's something's got to go on. Yeah, well, and you know, but and people people get intense about it. And I understand that. I um, I was not that kind of music guy. I just you know sometimes played records, but as I said, I was more of a news guy, and news is what what I spent my time in radio doing professionally. So let's let's talk a little bit about getting started with the news department. Um, again, was there any sort of training or guideline to getting you involved with doing live news? Were you just were you reading from the studio, or were you going out into the field and, and doing reports? It was a combination. Uh, we we were out in the field doing reports. Um, sometimes it was in the studio. Um, I did a combination of of in studio anchoring and and field reporting. There was training. Um, I honestly can't remember who the news director was at that moment, but um, there was training. They made sure we knew, you know, who, what, where, when, why, how, get the facts, um, who to call, uh, you know, what kind of checks you had to make routinely to check on stories. And the, the radio station news department was run just as any newsroom would be run. You made police checks. You checked with the fire department. You, you just um, kept an eye on things. You you watched the wire closely. But we did write our own copy. It wasn't a, just a rip and read operation. We mm-hmm. were we were rewriting the wires and we were going out and generating our own news. And it was a, it was a mix of um, you know regular out there in the world news plus on campus news. We tried to do a lot of campus news. Mm-hmm. Um, was there a dedicated news program or was it sort of a top of the hour kind of format? No, it was, it was top of the hour. We did do a, a couple of um, weekend like public affairs type shows and, and some interview shows that fell under the purview of the news department. But, but there was no, uh, you know, like long block of news. It was strictly top of the hour newscasts. Hmm. Um, if we could... Go back for a second. Um, Sweet Olson is a name that that I've heard many times over the years, and I know he was very successful in in generating support for the radio station and fundraising. But could you talk a little bit about him and and your experience working with him as a as a host? Sweet was a guy who owned a music store in Hempstead, and he was a phenomenal human being. He he was the polka king. He his his shows were just polka music. But you mentioned him fundraising. There was one point uh, during my time there when the university was going to pull funding and it looked like the radio station may actually be in a position where it couldn't stay in existence any longer because of the funding situation. And uh, I don't remember, it was Jeff Krause or, or others that came up with the idea, but we decided to do like a marathon, a, a polka marathon, and it was a fundraising marathon, and we were just looking to make enough money to convince the university that we were viable and, and allow the radio station to stay on the air. And we did it during a time when a lot of students wouldn't be around because we thought, you know, polka music isn't going to be the, a big thrill for the students. But there was a big audience in the area, and there was Sweet Olsen had a huge following. We made a lot of money. We made enough money that we were able to keep the radio station on the air and convince the university that it was a valid uh, tool for the university, and they started to you know, continue funding for us. So Sweet Olson saved WVHC. Wow. Wow. It's, I think it's 
probably hard for a lot of us who came along later or or in present day when the relationship between the station and the university is much different. Um, and other guests have alluded to the idea that the university wasn't all that financially supportive. But that that sounds pretty dire, pretty intense. Did you do you remember having discussions with other students about the future of the station at the time? We were convinced that there, there wasn't going to be a future of the station at that point. I mean, it was it was dire. Um, I can't remember the, the logic that the university had. You know, they were very supportive of, of the newspaper staff and they, they were supportive of a lot of different things. But the radio station just didn't seem, I guess the, the people running the university at the time just, just didn't get it. But uh, we proved to them that there was a valid reason to have a radio station. And I understand now there's a much, obviously much better relationship. The facilities now are, are absolutely beautiful. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, WRHU is, is a, an important part of the university. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's um, so at that time also you you said that the studios were in the little theater and the it's offices the theater. were yeah. were sort of across the quad in mm-hmm. Memorial Hall. And what right. what was that? Was that you said it was up on the second floor? Yeah, it was up on the second floor above the Memorial Hall cafeteria. Um, it was just a basically a great big room with a bunch of desks and uh, people hung out there. The, but if you needed to do work, if you were uh, like there were there was a little bit of equipment, like the news people would go up there sometimes to to work on a story. Um, but basically, it was the place where people were hanging out. But it was it was the if you needed to have something done in an office environment, that was where you went. OK. And about how many people do you think were were working there at the time when you arrived? You know, I, I want to say there were probably all told 30 or 40, 50 people involved, um, as in any organization, especially volunteer organization, there was a core group uh, of people who did a lot of the work. There were a group of older students who were sort of one group. And then um, a bunch of us that came in when I did as a freshman, uh, my, my friend Dave Levy, um, Kevin Riley was a guy. Stephen Mines um, mm-hmm. is someone who was was integral at, at that point um, to the operation. So there was kind of like an older group and and then a newer group. But, you know, we all mostly got along together and everybody just, uh, you know, it was we were all there for the same reason mm-hmm. to have fun, but to, you know, do a good job on the radio. Do you remember, uh, you mentioned Tom Curley before as sort of one of the, the, the people in charge at the time. Do you remember any other people who were ex- who were already established at the station who were helpful or maybe gave you good advice? Uh, well, Kit Hunt uh, was the program director. She was, she was very helpful. Frank Grunstein, who was uh, on the engineering side mostly, but Frank taught me a lot about, you know, the board, running the board, um, troubleshooting things. Uh, when you're out in the field and all of a sudden a microphone isn't working or, you know, you need a new length of cable, how to go about uh, making sure it would work and, and how Radio Shack could bail you out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so you also alluded to that you did some music programming, but news really seemed to draw you in and take up most of your time. Do you remember something right. appealing about that or, or an assignment that, that made you go or a suggestion that, made you go in that direction? Um, initially, 
it was probably that, hey, you want to do the news? You can do the news. There's no there's no DJ <laughs> slots. It might have been as simple as that initially, but I realized that I really enjoyed it. I liked going after the information. I liked finding stuff out. I enjoyed interviewing people. Um, we got to interview a lot a lot of interesting people over the over the course of my time there. Um, so I I just decided that if I was going to try and make it in radio, news was probably the way for me to go. Hmm. So it seems like you were pretty comfortable there pretty quickly, uh, knowing Dave Levy and, and then making some other friends, but is there, is, is that right? Was it pretty early on or did it take some time to think this is, this is where I want to be? Um, I kind of knew it right away. I don't know if everybody else knew it, but, um, no, I, I think everybody was pretty welcoming and friendly and it was a, it was just a fun place to be. And I felt welcome right away. I, you know, I, I spent my high school years, eh, I wasn't one of the popular kids. I wasn't in sports. I didn't do a lot of uh, extracurriculars in high school. And when I got to college and I got involved in the radio station, I, you know, I just kind of found my niche. I found a group of people that liked the same things I liked and thought the same way I thought. And it was just um, a good fit. I found a new family. Hmm. And, and you said you changed your major pretty quickly, right? You were pre-med and then you switched yeah, to... Yeah, well, when, when you get a 13 on an or, organic chemistry exam, the, <laughs> the professor, I actually met the professor on campus. I had to go to him to change my major to communications. I needed him to sign off. And when I w- walked up to him and said, uh, Professor, can I talk to you? He, he looked at me and said, aren't you the young man that got the 13 on the lab exam? And I oh, said, no. yes, yes, sir. <laughs> and he said, and what can I do for you? I said, well, I wanted to switch. And he said, major? I said, yes. He said, give me the form. <laughs> he, he signed. And actually, the next semester, he saw me on campus and said, you're still here? Wow. So <laughs> I, I I was not cut out. Um, I, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And, and I, I'm still interested in medicine. And, and over the years, I did a lot of stories about medicine and, and you know, new drugs on the market and things. But um, some of the math and, and science just was a little more than, than I was capable of. I had my, my expertise turned out to lie in different areas. It's a, it's a good time to find that out in that, in that first semester. It's, oh yeah. Uh, so, and I, I guess there was probably a phone call home to tell your parents that, uh, it's time to switch majors. Yeah, I called and, you know, and, and I said to my mom, you know, you can put your head in the oven, but it's electric. So all you're going to do is singe your hair. So <laughs> that, was, that was the big joke. Fortunately, uh, now this goes a few years out, but fortunately, my sister married a doctor. So she got her doctor in the family. Okay, very good. All all ends well there. All ended well. And, and I proved to them that actually, I don't think my parents really, you know, they knew I was on the radio and they knew that I was getting a paycheck, but they didn't really like believe it until I was working at Bloomberg radio and we were on Sirius XM and I got my dad a Sirius radio and set it up for him and where they were living at the time in Florida. And he could listen to me on, on the radio. And he realized, wow, you're really doing this and they're paying you to do this. And then it became real to them. That's, that's a little bit later on though. Oh, in yeah. The timeline. Yeah. Quite a bit later on in the timeline. But he, um, you know, they that's when it like 
that's when I think they became more proud of what I was doing. Yeah. And, and today, again, in today's world and satellite radio and the internet, you can listen to stations all around the world, but uh, a matter of a few hours away, they, they wouldn't have heard you on, no. on, on the air at all. No, the, the first time they had a chance to hear me on the air, unless they were like visiting where, where we were living at the time, was when I was on Bloomberg and you know, that was the first time I was on satellite radio and, and they could listen to me every day. Wow. So obviously your, your time at Hofstra radio had a, a, a profound effect on the rest of your life and your career. And we're looking back at things through that lens. Um, and you talked a little bit about this before, but, but stepping into the little theater or, or, the uh, or the basement of the little theater or the office the first time as as an eighteen year old with with Dave can you remember what you th- wanted Hofstra Radio to be what you thought it would be at that time? I guess the first time I walked in is I just thought hey this will be fun uh, you know be on the radio that'll be that'll be cool like I was in plays in high school and you know I I did acting in that form and I thought of this is just kind of like a different kind of acting. And, and I figured it was just going to be something that'll be fun to do. And, you know, maybe I can make a few friends. I didn't realize how important it would, and how quickly, how important it would become to me. Hmm. Well, Howard, this is, this has been really fantastic hearing your stories and, and thank you for sharing them. Um, I'm going to come up with more questions and I'm sure you have more stories and let's do this again sometime. All right. Terrific. Thank you so much. Thank you.